Business Matters in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal. The part-time Level 8 Honours degree in business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie or call 9186206. I'm Kira Donald. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is former managing editor of the Daily Journal, Pat McCart. Pat has written a number of books and is a columnist with the Daily Mirror and the Letterkenny Leader. After attending Letterkenny Regional Technical College, he began his career in journalism with the Daily People in 1974. He moved to RTE in 1979, before becoming the editor of the Daily Journal in 1981 at the age of 27. When newspaper sales were at their peak, the Daily Journal recorded an annual profit of £5 million. Pat, news is a big business. Uh, you spent all or nearly all of your working life in the newspaper industry. Uh, huge changes in that world since you started as a young reporter with the Donegal News, better known back then as the Dairy People. Absolutely. Actually, I started working with a man called Sean Curtin, who I still consider the biggest mentor I ever had. But Sean owned the Donegal Printing Company as well, and I remember going down and seeing guys making up posters with old handheld metal but they were locked into cases and so on. And when you see now your uh, Googles, your mobile phones, your um, social media, it's uh, 180 degrees. Like, I belong to an era basically where smoke signals were the height of technology. The height of technology, actually, Kieran, back in the day was you got two bits of paper and you got a bit of carbon paper in the middle, and that is how you made your copy, and that was considered high tech. That was it. So, how did you start out in journalism, Pat? I, I, so, I started in journalism. Uh, well, after a, a, a spectacularly unspectacular academic career where I failed just about everything, uh, the only couple of subjects I was good at were sort of English history and economics, believe it or not. And that's what I got uh, three honours in my leaving cert. Uh, I was useless at maths, I was useless at Irish, all the things you have to be good at in this, this world. And anyway, um, cut a long story short, I went to the regional college where I was also spectacular and uh, I don't think the... Oxford or Cambridge were coming looking for me. Anyway, uh, I was out there and Patsy McGonigal, who was in charge of the uh, PE department, no Patsy who later managed the Irish athletics team, Patsy one day, he used to write a column for the Derry People, a, a sports uh, athletic column, and he, he, he mentioned to a guy called Jerry Doherty, who's now an accountant with, with I think, the beers in, uh, in England. He said to Jerry, Jerry, do you fancy uh, uh, being a reporter? Because the Derry People are looking for a reporter. He says, no, I, I don't, but he says, I'd, I have an idea, a guy I'd, uh, who would, because he knew I'd done a wee bit of writing, so he came over to me and he says, hey, look, the Derry People are looking for a reporter. Patsy's after telling me, he says, go on, chat to Patsy. So I went and t- chatted to Patsy. Patsy rang up Sean Corn and Sean Corn says come on up and have a chat to me. So I went up and had a chat with Sean. That was way back in 1974 and I started uh, started on June 10th 1974 with the Dairy People. That was it and I've never really looked back since. What was your first uh, assignment? I went down to Sean's house at three government errors, sat in his front room and I couldn't type and I had no shorthand and so on. So first thing he says, right, 
don't do anything, learn to type. And I had to learn to type because that was the way it was. And I remember going to courts with Sean on a few occasions and learning how courts worked and so on. I really, the first thing I did, and I remember, was a local note for the Gador notes. And it was, and the woman's name was, and I remember her name was, she was called Nappy McFadden. And she emigrated from Gador to New York and she had died in New York in 1974. And she had, she left us a 17 year old Irish speaking woman sometime in the early part of uh, what uh, I think maybe the, even the late 1890s or something and she had never got back again but she, uh, she had some relatives left and I remember I wrote the obituary notice for her and, and the dairy people back in that was the first thing I ever wrote for the paper and from there, Pat, what was the next stage in your career? Uh, well, Sean, uh, well, everything I sort of learned, I learned of Sean. He was a brilliant man. Of, uh, you know, he, he, he could be a unbe- very, very quiet, but amazingly funny. And he was totally decent. He helped me in more ways than you could ever shake a stick at. But he was also, he was no fool either. If he, he did, Sean didn't, no messing around. And if you didn't do your job, Sean let you know you weren't, you weren't doing your job. So it, it was the best possible trend. So I went to courts. I went to councils uh, um, and so on I spent four and I Sean used to do the GA Sean was a bit of a Sean had played for Donegal and he knew the GA the, the game inside out and he used to write a very good GA column and then Dick Duffy wanted to start the Donegal League had just started up and he, he wanted equal prominence for the Donegal League so I became the soccer correspondent so I did that and then uh, Sean uh, because he had business interests he owned Toyland and he owned the Donegal Printing Company and he was working around the clock and at, at, he reached a stage in his life that just, that's something had to give Larry Kenny was taken off in the mid 70s uh, what court halls had come to and Sean's businesses were and I think he was he, there was too many plates swirling and he, he was running from one to the other to try and keep them going and I think his wife Nora sort of said Sean something's got to give here because we've got a family as well and they were growing up so Sean decided to leave and he said to the guys who were in charge of the dairy people at the time uh, they were going to go look for a senior uh, reporter, I was only in my early twenties, and he says, "Look, here and make an offer to you. Why don't you give Pat four or five months or six months and see what happens? And if uh, if he if it doesn't work out, sure you can get some senior guy and all the rest." So uh, John left. I took over, and I never heard anything else. I was I think I was twenty four, and. Uh, I, I, it was it was a brilliant experience. I was, I was in charge of a newspaper when I was twenty four, which was you no. Know, um, there was no official title as an editor, but you were in charge. You were in charge of the staff. You were in charge of what was going on. You were in charge of the content, etc., etc., etc. And you sort of were basically chief reporter, or whatever. And then two years later, uh, my dear wife saw an advertisement, and I think it was the Sunday Press. Uh, RT were looking for uh, journalists. And by that stage, I'd been six years with the dairy people, so I filled in the farm, never expecting to get the job, but I did, and that took me to double. And talk to me about that uh, experience. Well, I went to... I went, uh, there was apparently 4,000 applications for the job, so I was thinking to myself, how do you get past 4,000 applications? Now, the fact that it probably was in the media had probably got me through that. But there's a very strange story, Karen. On the day I was up for the main interview, I got on the bus down at, down at um, the railway station in the Kenny, where Mr. Delap was, I think, the station master at the time. And I got on the bus there, and a wee priest... A uh, Capuchin monk or Capuchin monk from uh, Ards came on, and he, he came up and he says, "Do you mind if I sit down here?" He says, "I find this journey very boring," and he says, 
if you don't mind me saying, enjoy a bit of a conversation. Uh, is it all right with you? And that's father, be my guest. So anyway, we got chatting away, and somewhere about money. And he says, by the way, where, where are you going to Dublin for? And I says, father, I'm going to do an interview with RT. But I says, I think I've already peaked. And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, look. There's someone like, th- as far as I know, I said there was someone like three to four thousand people, and for the very fact that I'm getting an interview, I said, I know means I'm ahead of the game, and I said there'll be. Ga- I didn't have a university degree back then or anything else. I said there'll be guys coming out of Trinity and UCD and all this with honours degrees in English and maths and communications and whatever, and I said I don't honestly see me getting a job against those sort of guys, and he says, and he stopped me and he says, Pat, can I say somebody? Uh, he says, look. About 2% of the people in this world are genius. He said, maybe 2% are your, you know, your rocket scientists and your uh, whatever. And he says, then maybe there's 2% at the other end. He says, who have educational problems. And then he says, there may be 2% of other. So he, he says, I have other problems. But he says, but let me get this clear. He says, about 90% to 95% of us all are, he says, capable of doing anything that the rest of us are doing. So he says, I, if I was you, he says, I wouldn't gun with that attitude. He says, I would gun more on the basis that you're as good as anybody else and as capable as anybody else. And did you take that attitude with you into the Absolutely. interview? Absolutely. For some reason, I relax. I said, I don't care. If I get the job, I get the job. If I don't get the job, I don't get the job. And what helped too was there's a guy called Barney Cavanagh there who was from Tyrone, who was a, who started out in newspapers exactly the same. And for some reason, I found I've got a friend here. Because the minute I came in, and explained I was from Donegal that I'd started off in Logan Barney just changed uh, he became friendly he became everything and was more interested in chatting to me than doing an interview and uh, anyway I got the job and how long did you stay with RTE? Oh, a very very short time I was only there about 14 months now the, one of the things I detest I am without question I'm a country boy at heart and it was traffic in Dublin back then. Uh, the other thing, drugs were becoming a real issue, but there was the traffic. When I, when I was going to work in the morning, it took me 15 minutes. It took me over an hour, but 75 minutes coming home in the evening. On the very simple basis, you go 10 yards, stop, 10 yards, stop, 10 yards, stop. It's like Letter Kenny on a Friday evening, but I hated that. I really genuinely. And of course, we had two kids. Anyway, short version of a long story. It was Rosie's aunt, her and her husband were celebrating their gold anniversary of their wedding we came down for that and Larry Doherty from the journal came to take photographs and during the conversation I had known Larry and he says hey by the way you wouldn't be interested in a job in the journal I says why he says look they're looking for a chief reporter but what they're really looking for is an editor and uh, he says and I says I'll think of it so anyway, he says, no, what do you do? He says, write them a letter and see what happens. So I wrote a wee letter, and he forgot totally about it, really. But one day I was sitting on the press box in the Doyle, and one of the ushers came in, and he says, hey, you Pat? And I says, yeah. He says, there's a guy called Colin McCarroll from the Daily Journal looking to talk to you. And the rest, as they say, is history. What year is that, Pat? Uh, 1981 81 uh, 81 uh, now uh, Colm he says look Pat we have an editor here but he says uh, look you're next in line but he says it'll be five or six years he says you'll just have to hang in there anyway Vince took over and within about three months I was offered the job as editor and I was 27 when I took over no sorry I was 27 when I was offered the job as editor of the Dairy Journal and I just turned 28 when I actually took up the chair now when Kieran let me put that in perspective just about everybody in the journal was older than me the troubles were in full swing the uh, hunger strikes two people in from Derry had died it was absolutely alienation there was 
black flags everywhere. There was no lights along Strandwood. They'd been all been shot out by the IRA and all the rest. And I remember telling my mother I was leaving RT to go to Derry. You know, she regarded that as, you know, going under the front, uh, literally, well, not literally, but jumping under the fire. Never been, never been, mine been on the frying pan. Like, yeah. It was a huge undertaking, and at such a young age, Pat. It was, when I think back in the day, it was. Now, I have to say, the McCarthy's took a big risk giving, offering me the job. Like, I had no background in uh, the Troubles, I had no background in Northern Ireland, no background in politics, and yet there, there they were offering me a job. But I'd been in charge of the, um, the dairy people. I'd worked in RT, so I think that those two things uh, must have sort of impressed them some way. Was there one uh, lesson that you took from either RT and or your, your time with the dairy, dairy people to, to, to use when you, you moved to the journal? Yeah, one thing I learned. Uh, the editor before me used to sometimes take national I remember one occasion, he would take national stories and even international stories. One day he had... The, the, the Pope had been shot by uh, John Paul had been shot in I think about in 1980 81 and he, that is the lead story and I was thinking to myself why would anybody in Derry put that as the lead story it was all over the national news it was all over the papers and as far as I know um, the Pope hadn't, hadn't lived in Derry at any station so what was the local connection now I thought if I become elder, there'll be no outside stories. There'll be no. It'll be totally local. John Hume, Martin McGuinness, Bishop Daly, uh, whatever the mayor, anybody that's saying anything. Gregory Campbell, who was an up-and-coming young uh, DUP firebrand. So that's all. I was willing to do all that sort of stuff, and I, that was the first rule I made: that the best story each week would be my lead story, and there'd be only local coverage. There'd be none of this outside stuff, and that's what I stuck to. And how did that approach go down there? on uh, absolutely brilliantly believe it or not uh, the proprietor I remember the first day I was editor uh, the pre- uh, what had happened I was, I'd actually uh, I need to be careful what I said but I was set up brilliantly but not in a nice way uh, as a politician in Belfast was actually shot dead by the IRA uh, Edgar Graham he was a hardline unionist and what had happened was uh, he, sh- he was shot dead on a, on a Saturday and for the first time I was editing the, editing the paper on the Monday and I was going oh, go, and the North went bananas there were, uh, the uh, loyalists called an, uh, an all-out strike uh, uh, the police were on, went bananas anyway Derry was shut down young people from schools were prevented by the RUC from getting across the bridge and all and there was a guy called Joe Fagan who was the mayor Joe rang me up and gave me a great statement the next morning we had a great lead story mayor condemns RUC you know and uh, for stopping Catholic kids getting to school and so on I guess and now he had condemned the murderer by the area as well but anyway I remember Frank McCarley was and he says, Pat, if you keep producing papers like that, he says, we'll be delighted. So I got off to a flying start, and that got me over the the hump, as it were. But no, the problem was, I, I didn't even hardly know the names of the staff, the key people. I'd never added the paper, and there was a lot of technical stuff. How much news do you have, etc. So that was all a learning curve. curve. How many issues per week were being published at that stage, Pat? Uh, the Tuesday paper uh, was a tabloid, and it, uh, and then the Friday was the big paper. Uh, it was the broadsheet and so on. And I, I think the Tuesday when I started um, was something like thirteen thousand, and the broadsheet was selling nineteen thousand. When I left, the, the Tuesday was selling about twenty-seven and a half, and the 
Freddie was selling round about the same, but on occasions could eat had twenty eight, twenty nine, and that was at a period Pat, when newspapers were king. Absolutely, like when you, uh, Kieran, uh, if you want, uh, I'm sure you're in your head already. I'm going to get ahead of you. I'm sure your head. You're working out when I'm on t- at twenty nine thousand papers at a p- pound, whatever it was ago. Right, right here. As far as I remember back then, well, but if you want to stick to the fact, the Freddie journal say twenty eight thousand at a one pound something, but say, just stick to a pound. That's twenty eight thousand pound right away. And if Tuesday was selling, say, 27,000, 26,000 at a pound ago, that's 26,000. So 28 and 26, they're you're earning 54,000 pound a week before you even start. Now, the Friday could have 50, 60, 70,000 pounds worth of advertising on a, on a good week. The, the, the Tuesday could have had 20, 30,000 on a good week. So work that out. And at one stage, uh, I remember when um, now the McCarrolls had sold the paper, but and we were locked in with the newsletter in Belfast, but the journal still was the main. We had five million pound profit I remember one year so you said newspapers were king absolutely that that was no wonder the local newspapers uh, uh, were sort of enticed by the you know the big multinationals the uh, Daily Mirror and the Irish and the Pen they bought, all bought up local newspapers because they were so lucrative in terms of revenue it all changed then very gradually Pat didn't it I did in fact I think uh, Local ownership with local content with local people was 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 the model they were when these people came out they didn 't give a monkeys about the local people. what they were really concerned about was making sure that they got their profits and they didn 't care about the content they didn 't care about the the public they didn't, and one guy uh, the journal had increased the price i think three times in one year, and it was said to him wait a minute this is and he says look it 's only a price of a cup of coffee but the point he sort of missed was people can choose to either buy a cup of coffee or not to buy a cup of coffee and then and in the case of the, but then when you increase the price of the paper uh, three times in the one year and reduce the pagination people aren't fools they're sort of saying wait a minute uh, I'm not putting up this we used to have a good product but we're not spending our money on something now it's far inferior The Daily Journal became even a bigger player in the North West when it uh, took on the titles of the Donegal Democrat and yeah. Donegal People's Press and the mid-90s within a few years of each other that, that was a huge step too in, in local newspaper terms I was yeah mm-hmm. um, I, I, when they took it over I ended up sort of managing editor dealing with boys like you by the way and uh, there was uh, like we we had one stage that it was the Derry Journal Tuesday and Friday uh, the Donegal Democrat on, on a Thursday the Donegal People's Press uh, it was originally a Tuesday became out on a Wednesday then uh, it went out on a Monday and it, it reached the stage um, some days I was chasing me tail I didn't know where I was going and I, I, when I started off the journal had 35 staff if I remember when I left there was 150 between Donegal Derry printers um, all the rest and I, you know some even nowadays I meet people and I don't know their names because there was so much going on and, so, and I regret that because at one stage you knew everybody you had time to talk to everybody but my office was like a revolving door where people come and go in all the time and that's so on and I, I met somebody quite recently how are you doing Mr. McGarry I hadn't a clue this is how I used to work on the journal you know no and I am, I, by the way, I don't mean that in the least, but offensive or snobby. I, there was that just that much going on that, you know, unless they were an old timer, I didn't know them. But you finished up as managing editor in 2006, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And then you came back in 2007 to look after the show edition. Yeah, yeah. I, what, I, what I left, uh, there was all sorts of things going on, and there was lots of stuff, and I just didn't agree with it. That was primarily. The, uh, there were other reasons, but that, 
it was taking the direction that I did, just didn't want to go. And I looked down. It had been sold three times. Uh, they were talking about making staff redundant. They were talking about taking out uh, other additions and all the rest of it. And uh, I just sort of said, wait a minute. You know, uh, you look at yourself. I have to look myself in the face and I'm saying, I'm not doing this. Secondly, I was an editor who was proud of the products that I had put out. And here we're suddenly we're putting out the same stuff and rehashing stuff and I said I'm not doing this like this is just we're uh, launching new products to set it up for sale for somebody else to come in and buy it oh there's six editions a week and all there it was all about um Enterprise and, and profit. It wasn't. It was no longer about the reader or, or about the community. Uh, and from your perspective, it was very much about principle and so. Uh, uh, yeah, it definitely was. It wasn't a, the smartest economic move to, to retire when I was fifty-two, but I, I decided I would do it on the basis that uh, you know, I'd lost interest. I'd, I'd sort of burned out. I, I was fighting from the top up and the bottom down. The staff weren't well. As far as I could see, the staff didn't like the direction neither did I the, the 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 bean counters up at the top wanted a certain direction and when you're the manager editor you're the piggy in the middle the money people want one direction and the staff another and on, on my occasions or my case I agreed with the staff yeah. Uh, social media was just about to take off around that time as well, Pat, and that has changed, I suppose, how we all consume news now and, and well into the future. Yeah, uh, social media has changed everything. Uh, and I'm not so sure that's a great idea, Kieran. Um, social media is it's basically unregulated. Uh, if you're doing something for a newspaper, you have time to sit down. But more importantly, there are laws of label uh, and, and local newspapers where um, where you have to sit. If you say something, you have to be able to back it up. And the first question you have to ask yourself, can I prove this in court if it goes to a court case? I can say anything on basically on uh, on Facebook. Uh, and unless somebody takes a real exception to it, I won't get sued. I've seen things on Facebook and social media that are simply, you know, if you said them in a newspaper, you'd be uh, your, your house would be gone. <laughs> Do you see a, uh, a time when that will change and where people will not be allowed to use the words and, 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 and use social media to the way they are? I do, definitely. There are already several cases you know, of people suing. So, you know, for, for, for a long time, uh, Facebook and various others said they were simply a platform. They weren't a publisher. Well, I think that's changing. You, you, you know, The guys behind Facebook and so on, Mark Zuckerberg and these guys can't turn around and say we're not responsible for what appears there. If you, if if you put something up on a platform or allow something, you're the publisher. But uh, you mentioned about uh, how high uh, the sales figures went, and obviously, as a result of, of social media and the downturn uh, and around 2008, 9 and 10, Newspaper sales were severely impacted at that stage, weren't they? Absolutely. You, well, you can't compete. Uh, at one stage, for give, give, do it the other way. The Belfast Telegraph had I think, nearly reached two hundred thousand in, in the early sixties uh, circulation, and by one and came UTV and BBC uh, at, for big uh, when the troubles broke out. I know with big news bulletins and so, their circulation started to drop because. TV started to beat them with the big news stories if there was a bombing or a shooting the, uh, the Belfast Telegraph had to wait till the next morning uh, or the, even the, it was an evening paper then for, to publish it whereas the UTV and BBC uh, had it on the evening bulletin that started affecting them 
can you imagine the impact of social media that's all over the place? Sir Sky News now is rolling news, uh, 24 hour a day news. The whole news, uh, everybody's got a camera phone. Uh, in fact, you're doing a lot of this through your camera and all the rest of it, and your sound recording. Everybody can, everybody can be a journalist these days. And yet, Donegal are still bucking the trend in terms of newspapers per week. Yeah. But uh, apparently in America, 2,000, roughly 2,000 local newspapers have closed in this last 20 years or so. And the thing is, Kieran, you don't know what you don't know. A local newspaper half the time informs a local community. And if you don't know what your politicians are up to, if you don't know what your community leaders are up to, if you don't know what your local school is up to, your local council is up to, you know... You're losing so much. They can be as corrupt as be damned, and you'll never know. Whereas if you have a local newspaper doing a wee bit of digging and sort of saying, look, uh, questions being asked about this, that, and the other, you know, they mightn't be the greatest, you know, but they they, they can do a lot of good work. That, that's a thing that uh, when, when it's gone, that's when it'll be missed. Do you see uh, a future for newspapers? I'm not sure about that. I would apparently, now I'm open to correction on this. I read quite recently that papers in America are making a comeback again. That there's an authenticity in newspapers. That people believe what they read if it's you know if it's well written and researched, uh, researched and you know sources given. And I think there might be a role for that, and I'm hoping that will be the case. Just in relation to the, the, the evolution of news, uh, I suppose two significant things uh, that would have affected news and, and, and Donegal. The Highland Radio setting up in 1990 and. Donegal Daily setting up in 2010 Yeah, obviously the newspapers uh, went digital as well as mm. did the local radio stations but they were two big factors in terms of how news was, was consumed Yeah, well the, we actually, uh, I remember Charlie Collins was in charge of uh, Highland Radio at the time and I got a call from Charlie and says hey, can, can, can we work together and I wasn't sure, you know, uh, how that would work. And I'm, I actually went to Colin McCarthy, who was the managing director. And I says, look, Charlie Collins, actually an old school friend of mine, is actually very interested in doing a sort of a contra deal with the Dairy Journal. And I thought he would say no, because honestly, I, like I wasn't the commercial director. I didn't have anything to do really with that. He says, no. He says, I'm interested in that. And that's his way. He says, well, he says, you can't sell a house on, on a radio and you, you can't do a whole lot of other things you know you can't put auctions up and, uh, and, and so on so he says there's a whole lot of things we could work together so we, we uh, me and Colm came down and we met Charlie and uh, I can't remember somebody else from Ireland Radio and we, we did a deal and we, we we plugged them and they plugged us and it was actually worked well for both of us What's your view of the local newspaper sector at the moment, Pat? Well, uh, well papers in Donegal, uh, I don't suppose they're growing, but uh, like you look at the Donegal news, good paper, Turcon Turban, very good paper. Um, um, all the papers that I can see in Donegal, the leader, uh, the leader I do a column for that one myself. I, I used to sit, uh, in fact, and this is the truth. One of the reasons I used to sit down and loved reading, uh, I'll even give him a plug, Paddy Walsh's page, and I used to, uh, used to sit down and search, I used to enjoy him. I still enjoy newspapers. What was it about Paddy's column that, that you liked? Well, you see, I'm an old Larry Kenny man. It's simple as that. And Paddy used to write stories that I could totally identify. And Paddy's got, Paddy was one of the best writers I ever came across. And when he worked for the journal, and I, I would still hold through that, I, I would just enjoy Paddy's column and Paddy's paper, uh, Paddy's pages. Pat, you mentioned how uh, full on your job was as editor of the Dairy Journal. Can you maybe give us a wee insight into a typical week of being the editor of the Dairy Journal back in the day? 
you start you left home at about nine o'clock on a Monday morning and you really didn't get back until uh, Friday. And there we'll take a break. Business Matters in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal. The part-time Level 8 Honours degree in business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie. Or call 9186206. You're welcome back. Before the break, Pat talked about a typical week as editor of the Derry Journal. You started on a Monday Monday morning, and uh, you didn't get home on a Monday night till 11, 12 o'clock. You went on Tuesday, might be half six, seven, and you took work home with you. Wednesday, you were at nine o'clock, and you were there to maybe seven or eight o'clock. Thursday, you went on, and you were there from nine o'clock in the morning to maybe 12 o'clock at night. And my wife said, you know, I said to one time about, uh, I didn't feature in too many photographs of the kids' parties. This is very simple. You weren't there. You know, which is true. What are your thoughts on that now? Regret, big time. Uh, I never got the work-life balance right. I should have got it. You know, I can't go back and you know when my kid was over 10 and be at their parties. I, like, my son is now, my eldest son is 44, 45. You know, he's uh, recently got a job as a deputy school principal. And, like, you know, I must have grown up, basically. And he'll probably tell you that as well. Um, the same with other two and so on. So that's life. But the other side of the story, Kieran, the troubles were on the north. The hunger strikes were on when I arrived. You were dealing with John Hume, uh, Martin McGuinness, Bishop Daly. Derry had major players. I remember American journalists coming in, French journalists coming in. I remember a Swedish delegation, you know, and so on. And it was just nonstop. And, uh, you know, and there was growth, growth. We we had one stage, where, uh, I think, between Donegal and Derry, had something like 75,000 papers a week, you know, um, circulation. It's like uh, We were, without question, the, probably the biggest regional newspaper organisation in the country. Just like a little you've lived, lived through uh, a lot of history and you were, were responsible for the writing of a lot of history yeah. at a very important time in our history. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, someday I must sit down and write about some of it. Like, some of the stuff was un- unbelievable. Like, um, y- y- you heard about things that you really shouldn't have heard about and you knew things that you really shouldn't have known about and like um, like reporters were told if you be there at a certain time a certain like strictly speaking they shouldn't have been there and um, I remember on one occasion somebody rang up and said uh, look there's a bomb at such and such and I recognised the accent strictly speaking looking back on it um, you know should have you know legally you should have informed somebody but uh, legally and uh, had I informed the RUC uh, who I thought it was I wouldn't be sitting here today so like it was a strange time and it was a strange place and so on and there was no rules and you couldn't get and every day it was sort of a challenge but it's 41 years since you took on that job and the north has changed and Derry has changed very much for the better. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Derry's a different place now, totally. I remember driving up, as I said earlier on, Kieran, all the lights along Strand Road had been shot out. You go up Derry now and it's like a 
uh, European city. You know, they're up along there, the, the Keys. There, there's cafes. There's people sitting out on a good summer's day. People strolling along. There's no army checkpoints. There's no British army uh, va- uh, Land Rovers going past. Even the police are, are, are walking on the street. It's a, a total change from when I arrived. I remember uh, there was graffiti everywhere about the uh, hunger strikes. There was the police went, went round Land Rovers with uh, my rifles pointing out British Army used uh, to set up checkpoints it was the biggest open air prison in Europe by some doesn't uh, looking back on your 25 years as editor Pat uh, is there one story that stands out for you I could have several no the, 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 the troubles dominated so I'm not going to say the troubles because I was so you know sometimes I remember a couple of cases you know, that shot dead people as informers. They were terrible stories because we used to have to deal with the fallout from that. And I remember they got to me big time. Like, I remember one, one occasion, I went down to Temple Moor, a uh, sports complex, and I met this man, and he and he, he says, hey, I, I sort of known him. I hadn't, he says, uh, hey, Pat, is he at paper yours? And I'm not going to swear, Kieran, because uh, I know it's just a family program. But he says, see, and that F and whatever, he says, uh, I hope, he says, I hope to go to hell to meet the people who murdered my son. I said, sorry. He says, I, I hope to go to hell to meet the people who murdered my son. I says, you've lost me. It turned out the IRA had shot dead. His son is an informer. And uh, the man was destroyed. And I remember that, that stayed with me for days. And then I remember another woman came down to see me. Her son had been shot with an, an informer. And she hated me with a passion. She says, my son was shot dead on a, on a Thursday, so your paper could have a lead story. And now the thing was, I wasn't even there. I was in holidays that week, but that didn't matter. you know. So those things... But hey, there's no, no very strange thing was that uh, there was... We did a... There was a thing called the Child Migrant uh, Scheme where children from the Nazareth House in Derry uh, were sent off to Australia. Three or four of them came back after 50 years and their, their stories would take in tears from a stone. I remember those people coming to see me and I remember sitting down listening. One woman came down one day called Peggy McFadden and she spent 50 years. She knew she had one person on earth, a brother, and she looked for him for 50 years and when she found him, had somebody she came in 1978 went into the uh, uh, the orphanage nobody would give her any information so she left and she went back cost her an absolute arm and a leg had somebody given her information she would have found her brother anyway when she eventually found him he was two years dead you know but she came and she sat down and she told me that story and she sat for about three hours and that day I remember being just riveted and it told us a way of a life in Derry way back like the mother wasn't married but she had a child so you know, and it, to- it was all about the social, I don't know, norms of the time. But that's those stories, there was about three people came back in the space of about a couple of years, and their each story was unbelievable. There was a man called uh, Jim Breslin, um, he, he and his two brothers were sent out to Australia. His uh, older brother didn't have to go, they were, I don't know what happened to their mother and father, but it, older brother elected to go but when they got to Australia the Christian brothers separated them sent one about 250 miles up to up to the north coast Jim stayed around about Perth and another brother went for 20 he didn't meet one of his brothers for 25 years the cruelty you know of that sort of um, scheme that stuck with me so those are the sort of stories I remember did you find it hard to switch off and do you find those stories come back into your mind now and again? Oh, it's nearly back then it was impossible to switch off. 
scripture. I remember at, at night sitting, sitting, going, did I check that? Sh- I should have done that. What, did, did I check the spelling? It? Was that the right name? Wait a minute. Did that reporter check? That, 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 was that the right story? And if we accuse somebody, they know, did, we, did, we, did I make sure we said alleged rather than just, you know, whatever? And sometimes in the middle of the night, you'd wake up in a cold sweat and you'd go, oh, and I'll not repeat that word. You know, so that was, and you've been on that place yourself, Karen. That, that, that's the reality of it. And we're, we're all, we all do that. And um, oh, for years afterwards, the story's played in your mind and so on. Uh, the fact that I can repeat the details here, like um, now, uh, so many years later, yeah. goes to prove that they stayed with me. Is there anything that you look back on with regret, Pat? No, no, not really. No, you know, um, I was very young when I was put in a space, our place of responsibility, and I was young when I retired, and I was burned out. There's no doubt about that. Uh, um, there had been so many changes, the troubles in the north, the, the the level of staff changes, technology was changing, everything was changing, and um, you know. Uh, just to reach the stage of time to go what advice would you give uh, a young editor coming up now that will be starting out in a job well here's the I'm not even sure uh, that I'm in any position to give anybody advice anymore in the sense that what's a newspaper anymore Uh, I I met somebody the last day who said they're doing a broadcasting course and there was no such thing as a broadcasting course when I was growing up you became a journalist and then you got into broadcasting now what I would say is if you're interested in a career in the media is go out and learn it firsthand. learn to write though I'm not even sure that's as important as anything make sure you get your facts right and just go for it but in a career in the media these days is a very precarious job Is there a person in the world of business that you admire most Pat? Not really no <laughs> um, Some I have a very sort of negative view of a lot of business. I don't think there's a lot of um, either A, compassion, or morals in a lot of the business. Now, that might be generalization and very unfair. But, like, on, on, Kieran, as we said, uh, uh, golf today has signed a big deal with the Saudis. And uh, just so I know, it's, it's sports washing. And there, without question, I heard Graham McDowell and uh, Greg Norman on trying to justify, you know, taking money. Their moral compass is totally off the wall. It's all about business. It's all about money. And, like, they still execute people in public. They still chop people's hands off and chop, chop square. And all day lo- and they're saying golf can do good. Will golf change them stopping decapitating people in public places? Will it stop them chopping off arms of uh, no people? No, it won't. And, like, it's, you know, so uh, I think, um, like, a lot of big businesses are sports washing. Or sports watching. Pat, if you hadn't entered the world of news at such a young age and, and pursued and, and had a, an extremely uh, successful career, what would you have done with your life? Do you know, know the very strange thing? And I, I know nothing about it. I always had a love or an idea. I'd love to be in a forester. That was the only other career I ever wanted. I thought the idea of walking through forests and watching streams and all the rest of it. Now, by the way, I couldn't tell one tree from another. And you know, and it was never a realistic one. But it was always something I had an idea I would love to have done. That's about the only other career I would have chosen. Now, I was never going to be a mathematician or a scientist. Could you describe yourself to me in three words, Pat? Um, political, 
argumentative and I would like to think honest. Pat, you've written a number of books. The most recent was uh, at the end of 2021. Can we expect uh, another publication from you shortly? Yeah, well, one of the things, I have a deal done, uh, with a guy in Derry, Garvin Downey, that I'm going to write about um, my career in newspaper, but I still haven't done it. And I've been promising him for a couple of years, so maybe this is the year. Like, there's, Karen, there's so much stuff that did happen, and there's a lot of stuff that you know, was of interest. Well, it was of interest at the time now maybe t- uh, the passage of time but it's worth le- even just leaving for my family I'll write it do you miss the Derry Journal? Uh, yeah I, I, the, the Derry Journal celebrated its 250th anniversary there about three weeks ago and I was asked to do an article for it and this is true and my wife will back this up I still dream about the Derry Journal I still there's many or many a morning get up and said I was back in the office and there was somebody coming in and somebody was shouting about this and Larry Doherty was looking about where's that photograph and uh, somebody was else saying hey that story there is on the front page and there were people coming and people going I dream about it regularly so uh, you know but I guess for 25 years I was editor of the Derry Journal and the key part of my life from the age of about 28 to 52 um Twenty-seven, even actually, because the first time I edited the paper, I was twenty-seven. So that's a long time, and it was the key part of your life. You know, my working life. <laughs> no, everything else has sort of been an anticlimax. And is there was there one thing in particular that you missed most? I, Kieran, you know, you were in the centre of things, like John Hume ringing you from. I remember one week. This is one hundred percent true. He rang me on the Monday. He would been either Washington or New York. He rang me from America. That's all I do know. That right. Secondly, that was on on a Monday. On a Wednesday, he rang me from Strasbourg. On a Thursday evening, he rang me from Westminster. And I was going, good merciful, you know, to John. You know, he's, I said, weren't you in America on Monday? Because he rang me for someone on Tuesday, for the Tuesday paper, obviously to get the lead story. And then he then he got on the Wednesday, he rang me. I don't remember why he rang me in the Wednesday, but he rang me on the Thursday, obviously looking for the lead story on the Friday. And that that was John. And then you had people like Martin McGuinness coming. I remember Martin coming and telling me things that maybe he shouldn't have told. But one of the things he told me is, hey, by the way, I am... He was the Michael Collins road role. He was going to be the chief negotiator uh, when um, Sinn Féin were negotiating uh, with the British. And I know the talks about talks type thing. So I remember we had that lead story. McGuinness to head uh, uh, Sinn Féin delegation and talks with the Brits and so on. And I remember... Um, I remember a guy one time who was a real, uh, this girl, I think she was called Kathleen Green, and she was the U.S. consul in Belfast. And she rang me up and she says, Pat, this guy from Washington wants to come to see you. And I said, he, but he can only come on a Thursday. And I remember saying, Kathleen, no, he's Thursday, too busy. She said, just give him 10 minutes. Then it done. And we kept going. Kept, and, and I said, no, I can't. But anyway, eventually he arrives on a Thursday. And he comes in, allegedly, for 10 minutes, which was an hour and a half. And anyway, bottom line, it was about a couple of weeks later, I discovered he was CIA and what he was over for they were wondering Bill Clinton wanted to know was it safe to, for him to give visas to Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams to come to America and that's what he was over checking and that's why she was so anxious to because uh, I was the resident expert in Martin McGuinness um, on the media because he used to come down to the office every day and we used to have chats and he used to have his statements and so on so that was what I was and I remember that as well but I didn't find that um, in fact Martin came down one day and I said hey, by the way there was a guy from Washington here looking he said oh geez, what did you say about me and I said, he, says, I, he says that guy's spook CIA so I remember that as well 
And finally, Pat, what lies ahead for yourself? Um, well, I write a column for the Daily Mirror still. I write a column f- for the leader. I do two podcasts a week with a man called Jude Collins, who's a former university lecturer and uh, columnist uh, with uh, the Irish News. And uh, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm involved, sharing, keep going. Like basically, I'll die with sort of ink in my veins. Like I'm a journalist, I'm an old newspaper man, and I'm. I'm I'll, that's what keeps me going. That's why I get up in the morning. I read a lot. And I do social media, and I'm like I'm involved in sort of politics as an observer, not as a participant, and that keeps me going. The one thing I would hate to be is bored, and I always want to do things. And you know, during the worst thing anybody does when they retire, stop. And I have this idea, you know, until the day I they put the lid down, I'm going to keep going and trying to be involved as much as I can. Pat McCart, former managing editor of the Daily Journal, author, columnist and commentator. Thanks for taking the time today to talk to us on Business Pleasure, Matters. Pleasure, Well, that's it for this edition of Business Matters. Thanks to my guest, Pat McGart. Thanks to Kenneth Wilson on sound. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at hidenradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the Faculty of Business at ATU Donegal. The part-time Level 8 Honours Degree in Business is delivered through a mix of online and face-to-face lectures. Email execedbusiness at lyit.ie. That's E-X-E-C-E-D business at lyit.ie. Or call 9186206. 